Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 362, recorded March 13th, 2022. So today we're uh, doing an issue that we missed called Mirror Broken Origin of Data, Next Generation Story. And then we're going to do the newer issue, Star Trek The Next Generation Mirror War, Data, number one. This will be all about mirror data. Yes, very focused on mirror data. But I do think that the second book could have easily been called Data and Barkley, number one. Data and Barkley on their misadventures. On their wacky, wacky misadventures. Exactly. <laughs> that involves blood. There you go. Right. Yeah, definitely the, uh, the origin of Data is exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That title does not lie at all. That is... Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the first one. I, I like both of them. I, I like both of the books, but I really like the first one. Right. They have some funny things going on. Right. And the reason why we missed it originally was uh, it was never released at the comic book store. It mm. was a Loot Crate exclusive. And uh, from what I've seen, it was like a tiny little book. It's not even a full-size comic as far as page size. Yeah. But uh, they did recently reprint it in the Star Trek The Next Generation Mirror Universe collection. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the cover of that uh, that graphic novel. Oh, wow. Uh, that came out, um, I think it came out last year or so. And it has like all of the Mirror Universe up to that point. So it has Broken Mirror, I mean, uh, Mirror Broken, Through the Mirror, and Terra Incognita all in one graphic novel. Hmm. And including and in, and they included this, which is how we finally got got to read it. Because uh, when I did find out about it, I tried to find it, and you know you can get it on eBay or whatever, but I couldn't. I could never find one at a at a price I was wanting to pay. Yeah, yeah, I I did end up buying it. <laughs> oh, eBay, did you? And I spent thirteen bucks on it with shipping <laughs> so, and everything. Is the pay? Is it a little tiny book or is it a normal size comic? I haven't received it yet. Uh, it's a recent purchase. A very recent purchase. <laughs> when I read it and I did the subscription, uh, or I mean, did the, yeah, prepared for this episode. Sure. sure. I really uh, liked it. I thought that it was worth having in paper form. Right. Yeah. So when you get it, let me know if it's okay. uh, a normal size comic or one of those small, small ones. I will let you know. Yeah. And if Loot, Loot Crate did that every month, you know, that could be something I would potentially be interested in subscribing to but just the idea that maybe once in a while it'll be a franchise you like um, that they're going to send you stuff on uh, just the loot crate idea has never appealed to me the loot crate idea is interesting but it's like I got enough garbage in my house (laughs) without having to have a it's a monthly thing right so every month you get what you uh, like 70 bucks worth of stuff that you pay for 45 bucks or something. I don't know, something like that. Right. And it's like, it's great to have the surprise element there, but 
But it's like, what are the odds are that all of it's going to be something you want? Exactly. Unlikely. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, I did. Uh, I didn't do Loot Crate. I did. Um, I, I forgot what it was called. Video Game Treasures or something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, once a month, they'd send you a box and they would have like old old games, you know, from like the Nintendo all the way up to you know, maybe like PlayStation 2 or PlayStation 3 maybe. And so you never knew what you were going to get. You were going to get some old stuff, some new stuff. Uh, but after a few months of that, I was never really getting anything that I even bothered to play. So oh, I eventually and, canceled it. But I and, like that idea. And that was restricted to just one or two different consoles? Because... Well, you just, but you, you did get to put in which consoles. Okay, had. good, good, good. Because yeah. otherwise that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Right, right. But getting I realized that of the have. systems I have, I have the games I would probably want to play on them anyways. There you go. <laughs> so they weren't giving me any like new gems or anything. But anyways, anyways, it's still kind of cool that Loot Crate did this with IDW. So. Oh, this is great. It's like when I first when I first started reading this, like like this is the only way you can get the book. I mean, in in paper form. Sure. sure. As opposed to the. Well, I guess if CBRs bought, and stuff. If you bought the, uh, if you bought the graphic novel, you could get it, but yeah. it's it's stuck in there with everything else. Right. So cool. Well, shall we go ahead and talk? Let's about do it. it. So I'm going to do the first one, which is the Mirror Broken Origin of Data. Its published date is September 2017. Writers are Scott and David Tipton. Artist is Josh Wood. Colorist is Jason Lewis. And I really couldn't find the additional information about a letter or an editor. So it's got one cover, which is a good one. It's uh, another one by one of Donovan's favorites, J.K. Woodward. And it shows a Mirror Universe Picard standing behind Data. And Picard is in a, what to me looks like a Patrick Stewart House of Atreides uniform when he was playing Gurney Halleck from the 1984 Dune movie. Just what the collar, you know, high collar black or at least it looks like a black uniform in the cover. And then Data is a little bit ahead of him and to the right on the cover. And he looks cool because what they do is they have these uh, vertical, like kind of like uh, strips. And behind each of these strips, there's one, two, three, four, five of them, you see uh, different layers of Data's head. So you're actually seeing one with normal with with skin and hair and all that kind of stuff and then another one you see kind of like the fake musculature that's under the fake skin and then another vertical slot shows his circuitry which is even deeper down so it's very cool on the lower left you see the stargazer uh, which is streaking along and then in the bottom right you see a 30th anniversary tng logo which is complete with a top-down view of Enterprise D. And then at the very bottom, you see kind of like a planetary scape, which I think is supposed to be the dilithium mine, which features prominently in this book. But I'm not 100% sure on that. On the ISS Stargazer, Data is preparing to accompany Picard and a large away team to board the Enterprise and take her. He prepares by donning just the right Borg arm for the occasion and pauses in thought as Barclay asks him if he is ready. In a nanosecond, 
Data's amazing positronic brain accesses old files that chronicle his journey from the day he met Captain Picard to his momentous current mission. Clearly, this new mission is the highest stakes gamble Picard has ever taken for an extraordinary prize. Data is operating a large, heavy, and dangerous plasma drill in a dilithium mine operated by his father, Noonien Singh. Captain Picard beams down to trade Singh supplies for dilithium. Singh enters the facility's transporter room to greet Picard with energetic enthusiasm, somewhat reminiscent of an Area 51 scientist. Song gives Picard a short tour of his dilithium mine that funds the facility's true purpose, scientific research. Song introduces Picard to Song's prized creation, Data, a sentient android whose strength, durability, and repairability makes him an invaluable asset in the dangerous dilithium mining operations. As they discuss the dilithium for supplies trade deal details, Picard thinks silently about how that android would be an asset to his space pirate activities. Song sets Data to work, fetching the dilithium for Picard and storing the supplies after they are beamed down. Just before Picard is about to depart, part of the mine floor gives way and Data falls, apparently, to his death in a chasm in the mine floor. Frustrated, Soong orders a mine worker to get lore fixed up and running to take Data's place. Picard beams up and finds Data still smoldering after his close call with the hot, lava-filled chasm. It was all part of Picard's plan to liberate Data from Song's mine via transporter in a way to make it look like Data had died. Picard gives Data the choice of joining his crew or being set down wherever he likes. Either way, Data has been freed from the crappy job he has in the dilithium mine. Data considers his options, and he joins the crew. A pirate life for him. Har. After Data is taken away to get cleaned up, Geordi briefs Picard on his initial brief tricorder assessment. Data is totally unique. He is made from tech Geordi and the rest of the Quadrant has never seen before. He is worth a lot of cashola. 137 days later, on a raid of an Imperial refueling outpost, reportedly loaded with Allurian contraband, Data joins Picard on a raiding party. Picard orders Data to enter the facility and kill all opposition, then secure the contraband. Picard and the rest of the team await outside in what they think is safety, as the bulldozer is unleashed on the unsuspecting occupants of the building. Data's less-than-subtle entry through a locked metal door triggers the criminals to activate automated countermeasures that should cut to ribbons any Imperial assault teams outside. Data sets to work shooting the criminals with a dated but effective combat phaser pistol. Suddenly, a very large Nausicaan knocks the phaser out of Data's hand and grabs him by the throat. The Nausicaan soon realizes this is no normal human when Data grabs the arm attached to the hand that is attempting to choke him. 
Then, with amazing speed, Data raises his legs up, and with his feet planted against the Nausicaan's chest, he kicks off. The Nausicaan's arm comes away from his body with a sickening wet sound. Yuck. To complete the counterattack, Data removes his knife from his waist sash and nonchalantly plunges it into the Nausicaan's chest and through his heart while looking the other way, scanning the room for additional threats. A short time later, Data dispatches the final alien criminals with a large, heavy-looking metal box, just as Picard and what is left of his assault team enters. Picard berates Data for not coming to their aid when he found out there were countermeasures being used on them. Data reported his orders were to take out all opposition inside and secure the contraband, which is exactly what he did. Picard says Data needs to think on his feet and adapt to changing circumstances, or he is no good to Picard or anyone else. Data takes this constructive criticism to heart, and later, when he and Geordi are analyzing a cache of Borg augment parts, he has an idea. Data is able to use the Borg parts to augment himself. He replaces his right arm with a powerful-looking arm and dons some kind of ocular augment over his left eye. The next morning, Data presents himself to Picard and explains how use of the Borg parts gives him infinite possibilities to improve himself. Surprised and a bit flustered, Picard admits that is what he told Data he must do, so he accepts Data's initiatives and says he wants a full report on the capabilities of the cybernetic parts by the end of the day. Data finishes his reminiscence, returns to the present, and tells Barclay he is ready. The end. Or the beginning. Who knows? There you go. Yeah, it was kind of cool that we did these two books together, because they, they, they have a lot of similarities. They do. They're both about him growing as a sentient being. Indeed. In a vile, vicious uh, mirror universe, which (laughs) is nothing like the kind, nurturing one in the Prime Universe that we saw Data develop. And it's how him in that environment is, is shaping Data. Right is really an interesting uh, character study in these books, I think. Yeah. Yeah, really my only complaint about this book, you mm-hmm. know, the only thing that was just like, oh, that doesn't really make sense, was yeah. how did Picard tell Data what the plan was and the offer of coming with him and to fall down that mine shaft into the lava? Or was that, I mean, ha, or was that how did, to how be, did, he just How was that engineered? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. How, how was that, I agree with you. I did not include this in the synopsis, but Picard does talk to Data. He does not make him an offer, at least that we see, but he does ask Data what would it be like to leave, you know, to to not have this job. Right. Uh, so they talk a little bit like that, yeah. but, right. you know. Yeah. So, no, he, yeah. so Picard feels him out, but he doesn't actually give him an offer to leave that we see. Right. And then he just happens to fall into exactly. the and... Jordy just happens to beam him up well, right at the last minute. Okay, so the Jordy thing, I think, was all part of Picard's plan. Right. But the idea that Data fell or slipped where he did, and by the way, he's Data, right? So the idea of him slipping and falling, I, sure, I guess, 
But with super data abilities, you'd think he would be able to write himself maybe and not fall? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was the one part that I was just like, that could have been flushed out a little bit better. Yeah. Explained better. Right. But they just went with it. Because you get other great things like Data turning into a Wookiee ninja and <laughs> ripping that Gnosekin's arm off. That was so awesome. That was so awesome. <laughs> Something I really like about these books and about just Data in in the mirror universes, he's got so many abilities that, except for his brain, you you see almost never tapped in next gen. Yeah, very rarely do we yeah. see him showing off his super strength. Exactly. So he's got super strength. He's got super speed. I mean, he could do the $6 million man thing, right? Right. But they, I think they purposely did not do any of that kind of stuff because they didn't want to cheapen the character. But, well, and I don't think they had the budget to have him. Uh, probably. That's probably part of it, too. <laughs> but in this universe, there's no moral, <laughs> there's no moral uh, restrictions on Data. Right. I mean, he can do anything he wants. And, that's, and we've seen him do amazing things, <laughs> uh, <laughs> scary things. Right. I remember in, in that comic book, maybe it was Mirror Broken? I don't remember which one. But where Data goes into that pyramid temple kind of thing where Spock is hanging oh, out. Oh, right, right, right. And he, go, and he just cuts his way through all those guards, those uh, Vulcan guards. Right. And, that, and it's like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I mean, between speed and strength and durability, I mean, unless you got a phaser or something. And you're quick about firing it and aiming it. It's it's hard to take data out. Right. Yeah, we'll see in the next issue too. He does he does that uh, super fast fighting thing. Right. Exactly. But uh, but here he uh, just rips that dude's arm off, uh, <laughs> which I, I loved. <laughs> and then he squishes the other guy with that giant box that container. It's, yeah. So the insect guy. Is just crushed by that thing. <laughs> you know, when I first saw that, I was thinking, oh, he just put him, put him in a box. A metal box with bars. Yeah, no, oh. he, got, he got squashed. Exactly. And then, then when you can kind of see, there's a bottom on that box. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. But I did like that when Picard shows up and their clothes are singed and everything. And Data's just, I uh, see you made it through the laser grid. You know, just like, oh, laser grid? There was a or laser whatever grid? it was, the the laser countermeasures, whatever whatever they were called. Oh, them. right, 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 right. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, the countermeasures. Then, yeah, then, then Picard does not like that uh, he didn't warn them or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Well, you, he's taking you literally, Picard. Right. Hey. Yeah, what, which I kind of thought was fitting because Data goes in there and then everybody else in the away team's like, should we send him in there by himself? And they're like, would you want to go in there with him? And then they are the ones that end up springing the trap and getting attacked with the countermeasures. Uh-huh. And then they get mad at Data for not exactly. covering them when, when he literally just said, I'm sending Data in there by himself. Because, exactly. Would you want to go in there with him? You know, that kind of thing. So, Well, they're kind of out there, kind of like, aren't we smart? <laughs> no. So uh, I don't like how they depict uh, Mirror Picard here. It's like uh, you're disposable, but I'm not. So if you know that something's coming to me, you gotta, you gotta come save me. Well, come on. Otherwise, you're not a sentient little boy. Uh, 
You're not a real boy. <laughs> okay, I got to just remind you here at this, this juncture that Mirror Universe Picard is not a nice guy. No, he's not. He's done some very bad, naughty things. And actually, in general, he's, he's kind of almost fatherly in a lot of these books. <laughs> or this book. This one, yeah. Yeah, this one. He's, he's not as bloodthirsty. I mean, I agree with you, the idea of sending Data in. And Liber is, is kind of like selfish or whatever, but come on. He's Mirror Universe Picard. He's, right. He kills people all the time. Right. Right. But this is also the Mirror Universe, so... Yeah. Um... You know, it's that's the only way Data's going to get a promotion is if you bite it. You know, triggering those stupid traps that uh, that I was able to get. <laughs> Can't fault me for following the system. Well, that's exactly a point I'd like to make. It's on my notes, but it's like if Data is being formed by the system, and this system is to advance, you kill your superior officers to climb the ladder. It's like, mm -hmm. if they wanted to, you kill everybody and take over the Enterprise. Right. Very easily. Very easily. So yeah. he's a great guy to have on your team. He's an ace in the hole that can do a lot of things for you, mentally and physically. But if he wanted to really take the initiative... He could probably become Emperor. Who knows? But at the very least, he could take over the Enterprise. Right. Maybe that's why Picard was asking him those questions at the beginning. Oh. Know, if you're sentient, why, why can't you just leave? Yeah. And then he said something about, you know, I am sentient, but I still have my programming to follow. You mm -hmm. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So maybe that was part of it. Just like, uh, can, I, can I trust this guy? Yeah. yeah but I, I did love the – they didn't know what those – board parts were and that they got them from the uh, LR ends mm -hmm. which is Guinan's race exactly and so we we know that Guinan has had a her race has had a, a run in with the board before so exactly. it made sense that they would have some of these bits yep and uh, I loved it I thought yep. that was great yeah that that was cool something I like is all the Taz gear they're using at the beginning when they're running a diagnostic on data the the two minor guys Mm -hmm. uh, they're using what looks to be pretty much a, a, a Taz TV show, uh, Tricorder. So it looks like it might be a little bit scrunched up a little bit, a little smaller in the, the top flip open display part. But other than that, that's, that's a Taz Tricorder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I thought that was cool. And then uh, when Data did his assault, he was using a combat phaser from Star Trek V, the, the fifth movie is the first time we saw the combat phaser. Oh, right, right, right. And so he's using a combat phaser to do his thing. And it's like, well, I, I can kind of understand them using the tricorder in that mine. Maybe they've got older equipment and stuff because they're isolated or something. Mm -hmm. But um, why is Data using an old combat phaser? Well, I mean, the Federation doesn't exist in this universe, so why do they have a Stargazer at all? Oh, that's an excellent point. Isn't, isn't Stargazer rather a sentimental kind of name as opposed <laughs> to a cutthroat pirate name? Oh, that's right. So they do still call it Stargazer here. Yeah, it's yeah, a well, Stargazer. What was it in that one comic where they, they did introduce the uh, Stargazer for the first time and they called it something different? And we both thought that was a good idea, and then they've never 
followed up with that again. They keep calling it Stargazer. Well, what was it? What was it? Well, didn't we? Didn't we have the? We saw the. We read the comic book. I forget which one exactly. Where Picard leaves his old ship, which looks like the Stargazer, and then they raid. You know, they raid the Enterprise. That's how they were able to grab the Enterprise. Right, but then there was also that one issue. The rest of the issues were all set in Taz, but then there was one random issue that was set in Next Gen, and it was Tom Hardy Picard taking over the Stargazer. But I think in that one they called it something <laughs> different than Stargazer. Tom which, Hardy Picard. <laughs> which we thought was a was a cool idea. Yeah, I don't remember the details of that one. Yeah, I think that one was called uh, Mirror Images. Mm. I'd have to look. Okay. But yeah, it was definitely Mirror Images, and it was uh, like issue three or something. Oh, wow. That was a long time ago. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely a long time ago. Yeah. But it was the, the Tipton Brothers, you know, start of the Mirror Universe mm-hmm. books. Obviously, the Tipton Brothers are digging this universe. Oh, yeah. They're just writing some good stuff. I like this issue. Yep, it was good. Hold on one second. I'm in the issue now. I just got to find where they call it. Okay. They call it the Starbreaker. Starbreaker. Yeah. So in Mirror Images, issue number three, they called it Starbreaker, which is how Tom Hardy Picard became captain. Right. And then they've never called it Starbreaker again since then. So maybe Picard rechristened it Stargazer after he took over? No. They should have still used Starbreaker. Yeah, I agree. It's a cool name. It's a very cool name, and it's appropriate with this with this universe where Stargazer is not. So, I don't right. know why they made that decision. Probably because too many people were reading it, going, "What's a Starbreaker? It looks <laughs> like a Stargazer." <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so yeah, so I mean, as to why they're using old phasers and stuff, I still question why they do any of this because we saw that the Terran Empire. <clears throat> has fallen because of what what Spock did and humans are kind of on the outs so we saw all that in Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. which is why they had to keep coming to our universe to get tech and stuff ship designs and mm-hmm. things like that so I don't know just gotta gotta go with it I guess yeah like most things it is a little weird reading this shortly after reading the Coda books which had a, another version of the Mirror Universe mm-hmm. where that Picard later what was kind of nicer. <laughs> so oh, exactly. It's hard to reconcile that Picard that was never a captain until somewhat recently. Um, <clears throat> never this cutthroat uh, pirate like he is in these books. Right. But that was also further in the future, right? Sure, sure. So, in, yeah, so in that alternate novel universe, they had already gone far enough in the Mirror Universe story arc that the Terran Empire is gone and now the Commonwealth was there. Right. And so it was a much more benevolent mirror universe. Although in the Coda books, it was kind of cool that they were still carrying knives. And there were a few little parts where you could tell that Picard was just all ready to, to mix it up, if necessary, in a, in a knife fight. No problem. Right. right. Which was kind of cool. So they were all like reasonable people now. But there was still some of that uh, that mirror universe uh, pirate spirit still under the surface. Right. But like I said, we're reading them at the same time. And so every once in a while, I'd be like, 
then I have to stop. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is the novel universe. This is the comic universe. <laughs> right. They're different. Right. Speaking of different, Noonien so- Singh is in this one. Okay. No, Noonien Song. Song. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I kept on I don't know why the they, name. they named him up so close. <laughs> yeah. Picard season two has just started at the time of this recording, and we know that at some point they're going to meet up with an ancestor of Noonien, mm-hmm. who's also played by Brett Spiner. Very cool. It just gets me thinking that, um, you know, do you look exactly like your great grandfather? No, not at all. But we're supposed to buy that in 2024, his ancestor looks exactly like Brent Spiner, and then in oh. Enterprise timeline, he looks exactly like Brent Spiner, oh. and then the later generation and next generation looks exactly like Brent Spiner. At least oh. that would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing with Worf. Worf's great grandfather looks exactly like Worf, yeah. just with a different head well, head. Uh, Head prosthetic, and and Kirk's brother looked just like William <laughs> Shatner, except with a mustache, <laughs> with now, a fake mustache. You, but that Thomas on. and Will look a lot alike too. Right? Oh, <laughs> now that's supposed to look the same. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> exactly. No, that's a good point. I forgot about Sam and, and Kirk. That's hilarious. Right. That is funny, isn't it? <laughs> it? It all it all underscores where budget. Budget is like, yeah, most. Oh, don't and worry fan about service. It. I mean, when you were watching Star Trek: The The Last Country, I mean, when when War showed up, you were just like the undiscovered country. Yeah, yeah, undiscovered yeah. country. You lost your mind when you were sitting there in the theater and War showed up, you know, as as his great grandfather. Right, but at least he looked a little different because yeah, they were yeah. able to tweak things with the makeup. But, right, because yeah. the you can still undiscovered tell country Klingons look different than normal Klingons. Yeah, and what didn't he have? Wasn't he an older character too? No, a little older than Worf. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he was. Oh, okay. Anyways, I'm saying this half in jest because I like seeing the actors coming back, but also it's just like, ah, come on, you, how do they always look the same? <laughs> Especially when us. And again, I haven't seen the new episodes of Picard. Uh, that have Brett Spiner in them, but he's definitely looks like he's going to be in the the 2024. Oh yeah, portions. Yeah, he's he's interacting with Q, right? With Q in some of the trailers, right? So it'll be interesting. So, anyways, uh, when I was reading this, uh, I was thinking thinking of that uh, that scene from the trailers, right? But this guy doesn't really look like Brett Spiner all that much. Uh, he does, and not all the time. Sometimes he. Looks, oh, but. Okay. Go ahead. So, so you, 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 you heard what I you heard what I said in the uh, in the synopsis. I snuck a little thing in there. Uh, I must have missed it. Okay. I thought he was drawn just like or very similar to his character in Independence Day. Oh, oh, right. Where he played the Area Fifty One scientist. Right. That was wacky. He was. And yeah. and unshaven and a little wackadoodle and like really long gray hair and stuff. And I actually went out and looked for that character, you know, Brent Spiner, you know, Independence Day. And almost immediately, I got a hit on an image. It looks like the artist took that photo from the, and drew mm-hmm. at least one of the panels. Oh, that's hilarious. And in fact, I just pasted that into uh, our chat. Is it the one where he has his arms out? Yes. 
Yeah. Well, they're up. They're not out. They're up. But look at the face. Yeah, so you're right. Yeah, that does look like him. Now, mind you, he had glasses in Independence Day, and he has no glasses here, but it's supposed to be the future. Sure. You know, people don't need glasses, I guess. Unless you're allergic Unless to you're allergic retinol, retinol tea, yeah. or whatever it was. Whatever that stuff was. I really like this book. Yeah. Uh, except for that one little bit about the Agreed. how Picard knew to get him to fall and beam him up. <clears throat> Agreed. Or was that just a happy accident? Right. And then my last note is I love when Noonien is saying, um, mm-hmm. well, he's gone. I know what fire you're going to say. Fire up lore. <laughs> and then we see lore and he's kind of smirking. I, and, I thought that was cool. And the guy said. who got the order said, oh, no, not lore. <laughs> And then it's like, uh, even though Laura is supposed to be shut down, you can still, yeah, I agree. He's got that little, the, the corner of his mouth is kind of like turned up a little bit. Right. Yeah. No, one, I, wants, no one wants to re- reactivate the sadistic lore. Right. And I did like that it had all those different datas mm-hmm. on, the, on the gurney or whatever. Yep. So you're like, okay, that's before, that's lore. I don't even know who that skinless one is, but he looks cool. Yeah. Yeah, he looks like he's from Terminator or something. Yeah, yeah. And I also like how Lore and Data in the mining days have all these, like, scars and things, repair spots on their on their fake face, fake right. skin. Because uh, I guess they go through a lot of damage. <laughs> and they just, yeah, he's close enough. <laughs> you know, he can still wield a, a plasma torch, so. Yeah, what's with Data's getting his arm fixed? We see that one Data, I guess maybe that's supposed to be lore, but he's like, his face is all scrunched up. He doesn't have the, he doesn't look, he's smirking there. So is that how they turned him off with that wincing face? Oh, that profile thing where Picard's looking at him? Uh, No. Yeah, when when Picard's watching them fix Data's arm. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, you're right. His face is all scrunched up. Yeah, like he's in pain. Which is fundamentally not the look on his face on two panels prior. Right. It's on the left exactly. side of the page. Right. I have no idea why they, why they drew it that way. Yeah, but that's I, like, I thought he was de- deactivated, so why would he be scrunching his face when Data's getting fixed? I agree. Is that supposed to be something where that Data's getting his arm welded? <laughs> repaired and Laura's feeling Laura feels it. I don't it. get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. Yeah. Good point. All right. That was my last comment. Yep. I'm done. Do you have any more? I'm done, yep. man. All right. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Nice artwork. The artwork yeah. is really good. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, the cover's a little misleading. You're like, oh, this is going to be a J.K. Woodward. And then you're like, oh, but it was still good. <laughs> yeah. Well, J.K. Woodward does a lot of covers. Right. Yeah, especially for this mirror universe since he did the the original series' mm-hmm. interior as well. Yep. All right. Ready for the next one? I'm ready. Um, oh, there it is. I thought maybe I lost my word document there for a second. All right. So this is Mirror War Data, issue number one. Came out December of 2021. The writer was uh, Celeste Bronfman. The artist, Roberto Ingranata. Colorist, Valentina Pinto. Letters by Neil Yutaki. Editor is Megan Brown. Three covers for this. First cover by Roberta Ingranata shows 
in the background, we see Borgified data, kind of looking to the side a little bit. We see the uh, Mirror Enterprise D swooshing in front of him. And then in the foreground, we see Barclay and a redheaded woman kind of standing there. And the redheaded woman is kind of looking down at him. So the cover B is by Elijah Edge Abene. And uh, it just shows Barclay in the foreground holding a phaser. And then in the background, we see Data's head kind of looking down at him. It's all about looking down at Barclay, it seems to be the running theme. So the third cover is by Tom Ralston. And again, foreground is Barclay. This time he's shooting a phaser. And then in the background, we have Data's head looking down at Barclay. The story takes place, again, in the Mirror Universe. We're on the Mirror Universe's Enterprise D, which is the three-nacelled super battleship. Data is working on a cloaking device that Picard was recently acquired from taking over and killing all the crew of a Romulan ship. Data speculates that this cloaking device might actually be booby-trapped and might explode when they activate it. Picard refuses to admit that the risk they took and all the lives they killed was for nothing, and he just activates the device. Suddenly, the Enterprise-D vanishes from sight, and nothing explodes. Picard tells Data that he needs to trust his gut more. Later, Data is what we humans would call bored, since uh, LaForge is off in the Delta Quadrant, it says. No explanation as to how he's going to get there and back so quick. But Data decides he's going to try to work with Barclay and perhaps mend the rift in their working relationship ever since Barclay defected to the Prime Universe in prior issues. So Data enters Barclay's private holodeck session, and he sees the man fighting off a band of horse-backed ruffians. Once Data's presence is known, Barclay explains that the leader of the group is a red-headed woman named Murlac, and that this is a simulation, and in real life, she and her family have made life for the Barclay family horrible for the last several generations on the colony planet of Sarlos. Barclay says that the people on the planet claim that his family was in league with a Klingon raiding party about a hundred years ago, all because his grandfather had the foresight to install a bomb shelter where they all hid out while Klingons attacked the colony itself. So Data tells Barclay that he has decided to follow his gut and investigate what really happened on that planet all those years ago. So they take a shuttle to the planet and they beam straight into Merrillac's family home. Once they're there, they do some investigating, and they find a bottle of Klingon blood wine, which Data says is usually a gift from Klingon raiding parties to the allies that they may have acquired before the invasion. So this all points that Merrillac's family is the traitors and not the Barclays. Just then... Merlac arrives with a posse of her own. Data says that if she kills them, then he will send a transponder beacon to the Enterprise where a very vengeful Picard will come down and get his revenge. Merlac points out that if she does not kill them, 
then he will still report the truth as to what happened 100 years ago, and her life would be over anyways. Data then uses his quick reflexes and the power of math to quickly subdue all the guards and Marilac herself. Barclay requests that Data not kill her until he can go out, get his mother, come back, and then the two of them can watch Marilac die for all her transgressions they've put on the family. So a little bit later, Barclay arrives with Mama Barclay, and they see that Marilac is now very much dead. Barclay and Data have a little scuffle where Barclay demands to know why Data took the satisfaction away from his mother to see this other woman die. Data points out that he found out that she had a bomb in her head and that she was planning to detonate it and take them all out once the Barclays arrived. And then Data has a little thought where he's thinking about his past and how he's evolving and all of this is due to spending so much time with these very emotional humans. The end. All right. The Dan Barclay show. It really was the Data Barclay show. Which I had the impression that they kind of had some kind of relationship going from some of the other books. Um, I'm not suggesting sexual or anything like that, of course. But they had some buddy thing going or something. And certainly this little adventure, which is recent, shows a, uh, a buddy bond right. forming that Data right. would do this. Yeah, if we remember, when Data came from the Mirror Universe to the Prime Universe to bring Mirror Barclay back, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he kind of kicked uh, Barclay's butt <laughs> and basically was just dragging his lifeless body through the halls. Yep. Of the Enterprise. You're coming back. Yeah. So so I do like that in Mirror War 1 through 3, they've kind of alluded to, you know, Data not trusting Barclay anymore. So when he decided, you know, I'm going to try to work on this, I was like, you know what? That kind of makes sense that they're going to be able to trust each other again. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So then after this, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you think they're going to be friends after this? Because... Technically, Data did save his life, but also he did take away the satisfaction of letting his mom watch watch him kill that guy, that girl. Oh, I think so. I think there's no two ways about it. I mean, the, I mean, Data did the right thing. I mean, he saved his his mother and Barkley, Barkley right. and his mother. He saved their lives by by taking the initiative and taking them out. And he says right there at the end, "Thank you." Um, right. So I think, yeah, but I got to say up until the last issue to some degree, and definitely this one in the mirror universe, data has been presented as a pretty scary guy. And I don't remember data doing many nice things in any of the mirror universe books that, that the Tiptons had done. Right. Um, but I do remember him doing a lot of scary things, you know, like I mentioned in the last uh, comments for the last issue, um, you know, with in this universe, the, the morality governors are off. And so Data is using his full potential. So up until now, Data has been really scary and a really, well, a mirror character, the opposite of our cuddly, sweet uh, android Data in the Prime Universe. Now, right. this story is the first time where we see 
data. I mean, everything he's doing, he's saying he's doing for the good of the ship. But still, he's he's doing the Sherlock Holmes thing. He's figuring things out, and he's being a nice guy to Barkley. I mean, he's even letting Barkley knock him down and be on top of him. Do you think that Barkley has the ability to knock down data? Right, exactly. I don't think so. Mm-mm. So he's being a nice guy in this issue, which is a new thing. I I postulate for uh, for data. Yeah, Mary good point. Data. Yeah. Yeah, because you're definitely right. I mean, the last time we saw him was issue two of the Mirror War, and yeah. he had that giant board cannon gun for an arm and was just mowing through all those people at the bar <laughs> just because they wouldn't tell him where the outrageous Akona was. Exactly. Exactly. So. No, I really enjoyed this issue. Um, mm-hmm. It did just seem a little weird that they can just hop in a shuttle and go who who knows how far away from the Enterprise mm-hmm. just to do this little family drama thing I from agree. 100 years ago. How did they... How'd they get Picard to authorize this little trip? Right. Yeah, because if you remember, in this universe, and what's kind of building up to what I think the Mirror War is going to be is, you know, Picard is really on the outs with uh, the Terran Empire, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, they basically said, you know, we are only letting you keep the Enterprise for so long, and then, you know, if you give us one more excuse to take it back, we're going to. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, and then in this one, they're like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and take the shuttle and go who knows where and do who knows what. Right. It's not like we need you. Yeah. With the traitor Barkley. Right. Right. Or maybe he didn't tell him. Maybe, maybe he just followed his gut and didn't even ask for permission. Just went. Hmm. It's, it's not clear. Yeah. I assume he had permission. I'm going to guess he has permission. Because you don't want the Enterprise to get too far away from... Cirolus. Right. Because uh, even though those magical little next-gen shuttles apparently have warp drives, I don't know where they fit them, but they apparently have warp drives, um, you still don't want the ship to get too far away. Right. But those those kind of practical considerations were really, I don't think they were factored in this story. No. So that woman, Merrick, mm-hmm. Merrick, mm-hmm. however you pronounce her name. Right. Is that supposed to be somebody we know? Because they draw her and they like talk about her, like, "Oh, look, look who it is." And I did try to look her up and find out if if she's supposed to be somebody in the Prime Universe that we're supposed to know. And I came up with nothing. Yeah, I don't. I think she's completely made up for this. But they really build her up, like when she takes that scarf off, you know, when in the holodeck, mm-hmm. she's like traitor, and then. At that time, she's wearing a scarf, so you don't see her face. You just see this red hair, and then later she takes it off. And you're, I, I don't know. It's kind of built up like you're supposed to know who she is, and mm-hmm. I did not. No. no. And before I started reading the book, I saw the, ooh, you know, the, the nice-looking, red-haired, fiery lady. I thought she was going to be some love interest or something for Barkley. Um, but it's like, uh, nope. <laughs> when I first saw the cover, I thought it was... I thought it was Crusher. Oh. I thought maybe, you know, because it kind of looks like he's sitting on a bed or sitting on something with his hands down. And I thought, well, maybe he's like being examined. bound or something and she's like torturing him or something. Oh. That, that's what I got from the first cover. <laughs> okay, gotcha. 
Yeah. And then I started reading it, and then I'm like, wait a minute. Beverly's not even going to be in this one. No. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, I, I, don't, and, I don't think she was anyplace else. Yeah. Other than this book. Okay. Well, her family's a poop head, that's for sure. You ain't kidding. I mean, it's bad enough that you betray and are in league with the Klingons, but then to make somebody else's family, the, not only the fall guy, but to be cross-generational propagating this? Because this is right. going on a long time, right? Yeah, 100 years. Yeah. So the fact that the Barkley family is even still alive anymore is just amazing. But Yeah, and, and yeah why wouldn't you move? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Barkley did. Oh. Right. It's kind of like that uh, Kenneth Branagh movie. That, uh, uh, Belfast? Belfast. Belfast. I don't know why I had a metal block there. So in that movie, it was definitely uh, a family was in an untenable situation and finally had to leave. Uh, uh, and I would be doing the same thing <laughs> if I were these Barkley people. Right. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's horrible to have to leave your home. But, oh, yeah. Oh, no, tw- no toys about it. Yeah, so um, I thought it was really cool how the artist was close enough to the original cloaking device that in Prime Universe Kirk stole. In the Enterprise incident? Exactly. So yeah. it isn't exactly the same as what Data's working on, but it's close. And, um, and I'm glad that they did that. But it's a bit yeah. different. No, but it yeah, it definitely looks like it. It definitely looks close enough that exactly. if you even had a passing remembrance of that episode, you right. would be like, "Oh, I know what that is." Exactly. I, I saw Scotty do that. that, and they didn't want it to be exactly the same, probably because it's like what ninety years difference, right? So apparently, in the mirror universe, Kirk did not steal the cloaking device, and the. Federation or the Terran Empire never had cloaking technology until now. That's what it seems to be. Right. So the idea of stealing Romulan cloaking technology is being aped here, but in this world, uh, it didn't happen in Taw's days. It happened in next gen days, which is interesting. Interesting difference. Right. Which I guess makes sense because I don't remember. Did, was there any indication that the Mirror Universe people ever had cloaking technology before? I mean, I'm talking about the yeah. Deep Space Nine episodes. Space Nine. The, I, don't, uh, I don't think they ever... The I Next mean, Gen episodes. I don't remember they, it ever coming up. They never had cloaking. Okay. So even when they stole well, I mean, the Klingons, The Klingons did in, in Deep Space Nine Mirror Universe, but the Federation did. Okay. Okay. I mean, there was no Federation. They only had the Defiant. Okay. And the Defiant that they stole the plans for... Um, it yeah, I don't didn't remember it have techno- cloaking technology. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, okay. Just trying to keep it straight. Right, right. It's hard to hard to keep it straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. So it's been a while since we read issues zero, one, and two of uh, Mirror Mirror War. Mm-hmm. But do you know what they're talking about as far as you know? Geordi's off in the Delta Quadrant. No. I don't remember that okay. from the other story at all, but maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe there was some reference to that. I mean, the again, this came out right after issue two of the Mirror War, um, so we're not, we haven't read three yet, which, yeah. which as far as publication date came out after this one, but 
yeah, and, and issue two was the whole Akona thing, and mm-hmm. Jordy was there, so it's not like, it's not like uh, if you're reading these as they were coming out, you would have been like, oh yeah, I know what they're talking about. Because hmm. uh, in that issue, they never say, Jordy, go to the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think it's more something that had to happen because of this story. And it, and it may have just happened in the story, within the context of the story. Because sure. I, think, I think what they were trying to do in the beginning is Data was on the hook for figuring this thing out and getting it working. And if Jordy was there, Jordy would have been on the hook. Um, right. I, I get having him leave. It's just, why the Delta Quadrant? Yeah. I mean, that's where yeah. Voyager was, and she wasn't going to be able to get back for 80 years. So, Well, she was deep in the Delta Quadrant, but still. I mean, even getting to the board of the Delta Quadrant would probably probably take a while. Right. I would think so. Yeah. But we don't know how deep into the Delta Quadrant Jordy went, but still. I mean, are they, are they trying to just get across the idea that Jordy is so far away, there's no way he could be part of this, this research on this Romulan device? Is that what they're trying to say by saying that Delta? I don't know. Right. I don't know. I mean, they couldn't even call him up. They couldn't even have a virtual thing, maybe. Maybe? I don't know. Well, I do know that uh, there is a Mirror War Geordie issue mm-hmm. one that came yeah. out right. a few months after this one. And we do see the cover of that issue in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Well, maybe part of his adventures as he's going to be away from the Enterprise that, on his that's, own. That's what I'm assuming, but I'm just yeah. I'm also wondering... Does that mean he's not going to be in issues uh, three and four of the the main series? I don't know. I don't know. But it looks like he's in he's in a pain chamber, which is right. aboard the Enterprise. Well, I'm sure any Terran Empire ship would have these pain chambers. Right. Yeah. And there's like a cloaked figure watching him. Right. Right. So I am looking forward to reading that one eventually. Yeah. Me too. Me too. But uh, but. Um, Anyways, what else do you have on this issue? Um, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, Barkley eats a bowl of broccoli soup <laughs> most days out of the year. That was funny. So a little nod to Picard's uh, faux pas. Or actually, actually it was Barkley's uh, derisive nickname, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, they called him Broccoli. Right. And then behind his back, and then uh, Picard mistakenly used it <laughs> in front of him in, the, in, that, in that episode, TNG episode. Yeah, so I, I thought it was odd. 275 out of the last 300 days, he had broccoli soup. I would be bored, but okay. Yeah, and how would he know that since Bar- Barkley was gone for a while on the... Uh, well, that's, that, was, that was the thing I was wondering is, is, is he counting the times that he wasn't there? Was he only gone 25 days? I, don't, right. I thought it was longer than or, that. But. Or has it been that long since he's been back? I don't know. But. And also, when they are talking about the wine, the blood wine, mm-hmm. in that family's house, family home. With the bear trap? Yeah, with the bear trap. Um, Barkley's tunic looks a little different. I don't yeah. It's really low. It's really, exactly. So it's, it's really like a tunic. I mean, like a Roman tunic or something, where it's all the way down, you know, to, to the top of his thighs. And it's like, hmm, I don't, I don't remember ever seeing a Mirror Universe uniform like that before. 
Now, it's not unusual for Barkley not to have the uh, sleeveless look because, you know, Barkley doesn't have the guns. Although there were some times where the, he did have a sleeveless look. Right. But the main point is before this one, he had sleeves on his uniform before. So that's not the weird part. The weird part is the bottom. Yeah. I no, thought that was kind it's of It's really long compared to Data's. Right. Yeah, compared to everybody's. I mean. Right, right. Yeah. Is there anybody that had something like that? I don't think so. No. I don't think so either. But everybody else also has the sleeveless look. That's true. That's true. I wanted to bring up what I think is a mistake in the word blues. I agree. It's a, I agree with the same one. Okay. So when they're fighting and yeah. having that little scuffle. Agreed. Uh, yeah. So there's a part where Barclay is basically saying Data's lines. <laughs> exactly. About how, uh, the, how Data killed her before. Before she could blow up everybody, but Barclay's the one saying it. Exactly. So there's like a two-level word bubble. In the first part, it was like, well, maybe Barclay could be saying that, maybe. But then the bottom one? Yeah, so, so I killed her before she could? No. That's, that should be Data's line. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and then the next panel, the real Barclay is correctly saying, you know, that makes sense. Thank you. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what's also cool, and I didn't bring it up in the synopsis, is uh, there's this theory, you know, and they bring it up way early that there's this myth that if you die on the planet, your blood becomes the soil, which then becomes these leaves on the trees. Then you continue and, to live forever. And you continue to live forever. So that was the one thing that Barclay had a little bit of. Well, I don't know. Dude. He he felt justified that uh, you know she is going to live in the trees forever and know that that uh, she had disgraced his family and and see how her family is going to suffer now that the truth is going to come out. Right, and she'll have to sit there as a leaf watching it all. <laughs> <laughs> I will point out that she is in a building on the ground, <laughs> but she so. does have blood coming out of her ears, so yes. that blood can somehow make it to the leaves. <sighs> Okay. Well, it's when not they, all contained. you know, if, if they don't like torture, <laughs> you know, they, they don't cremate her. Uh, right. Right. I don't know. It's possible yeah. her blood could never touch the ground or touch a leaf. Yeah. Well, I don't know how. I, I thought that whole thing was kind of weird. Yeah, it was really forced. I mean, what, why were they? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they they even stuck it in there in the beginning, and I thought that was kind of weird. Okay. Well, why are they saying that? And then, and I guess it was justify this last part. Exactly. But when Data sneaks into the holodeck, the first thing he thinks of is he can see these trees and he's like, oh, these are the trees from Solaris. Because, yeah. and then he tells the legend of the blood and the trees and the leaves. And, mm. and that's how he knew where Barclay was uh, pretending to be. Mm. And I was just like, boy, that's a bunch of random information. <laughs> and then <laughs> I, the end, I wonder I if like, that'll come oh. up in the future. Oh, that's why they wasted all that talk. <laughs> right. So, anyways. Well, Data does walk out there with all that blood on his hands, and he could have been purposely wiping it on the, the ground. We don't know what he's doing. He's just yeah. walking around with his hand out with a bunch of blood on it. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird. But now that I'm thinking about it, maybe he was making sure that a little bit of that blood made it to the, yeah. to the ground. That old softy. That old softy. Well, softy. <laughs> softy for Barkley, not for that woman. Yeah, I wonder how... It didn't show how it killed her, but... 
he did something that made the blood come out of her ears. Well, I guess her head's turned around, so. Yeah, so did he... Gave it a good did, twisting? Did the explosion... Did it re- require uh, conscious thought to activate the explosive? I don't know. Uh, was he able to rip it out of her head and throw it out a window? I don't know. And he's sitting there with a knife. I mean, when Barclay walks in, she's on the ground, blood mm-hmm. everywhere, mm-hmm. and Data's holding a knife. So Right. So he cut it out of her. Maybe. Hmm. Now, I would think that if it's just something like in your ear, behind your ear or something, you could cut it out without somebody dying. But, right. whatever. Maybe she just deserved to die. She did deserve to die for being a meanie, a bully. A, a bad meanie, a lying fibber. <laughs> and, of course, this data is more than happy to kill. Right. Now, I haven't watched all of uh, Yellowstone, but uh, this, this really reminded me of that with these feuds and stuff that have been going on for generations. And oh. There's really no way you're going to – you can ever – fix it because everybody thinks they're in the right Mm -hmm. because of something their great granddad's told them you know Mm -hmm. oh that is that's what yellowstone's about okay yeah basically it's about uh, the kevin costner thing yeah ranchers on this land and people who other people who feel like they own it too and the native americans that that were removed from it and things Mm -hmm. like that it's it's all uh it looks like a cowboy soap opera. It's a cowboy soap opera. Set in modern times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's like but a gangster it's a, movie. It's a Paramount Plus show, right? Yeah. Well, no. The Paramount Plus show is um, the prequel, which is an actual Western. Oh, oh so that's in syndication, is it? Or what's... Uh, it, was, it was on, I don't know, one of the cable channels. Oh, okay. USA or something like that. Oh, okay. So it's not syndication. It's on one of the cable. No. Yeah, it's on one of the cable okay. channels. But then Paramount Plus has the prequel. Yeah. Anyways. I've never seen it. Yeah. I just saw the commercials. It's it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I I do want to watch the prequel, the the Sam Elliott one. That's the main reason why I'm watching the Kevin Costner one is just because I guess I should watch them in chronological order as far as when they came out. Not Mm -hmm. not story-wise, but it's not that good. I might stop watching. (laughs) Oh, it isn't that good. Okay. I don't know. It's it's like one of those ones where you're just like, I do kind of want to know what happens next, but there's also a new episode of Picard. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have my priorities set. Exactly. Yeah. Picard. Okay. Yeah, what do you, just really brief, what do you think? We're only, uh, it'll be all over by the time this gets posted, but sure. we're only, we're only two episodes into it. So we talked about them before recording, so I don't want to go through all that detail, but just sure. in general... What do you think so far? I'm liking it. Uh, I think they, uh, they're they definitely doing, I think, better job as explaining or showing the variety of ships and stuff in the Federation at this time. Yeah. That, I think they, they kind of missed the boat a little bit in the first season. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's good. I, I, I just think, uh, for whatever reason, Patrick Stewart's playing up the old man more than I remembered him doing in the first season. Yeah. I mean, he's basically just shuffling around. I'm like, you have a brand new robot body. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Do some data stuff. Pick up some crates. Squish some bugs. Yeah. Pull an Oscan's arm off. What? Exactly. <laughs> what? 
If you're if you're gonna die and your consciousness is gonna be transferred into an alien body or a, a robotic android body, you should at least get something out of it besides right. just living. Right, right. I mean that that's kind of a big thing. So he's got that going for him, but it's like take advantage of it, jeez. But but yeah, so what do you think? Um I like it. Uh I think the first episode had some good grabbers in there. And um it's cool to see um, our heroes that were drummed out of Starfleet uh, or left because they were made to feel unwelcome, whatever the case is, um, mm-hmm. they're back in Starfleet. So I think that is, um, I don't think there's much chance of us spoiling anything for anybody at this point. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do like to see them back in. It just seems a little, it just seems a little pat. I don't know. I mean, uh, Rafi's got a ship. And then Excelsior. Rios has a ship, right? The Stargates. I mean, there you go. So they got some good ships. Named ships. Right. And of course, the Excelsior is the Excelsior 2 class. So it's not like she's got a 200 year old ship or something like that. Or, you know, a really old ship. Uh, it, apparently, for some reason, <laughs> they felt like doing a new version that looks similar to the old one. Similar, but not the same. Right. Anyway, so it's 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 good to see, and then Elnor's in Starfleet. Um, right. So that's cool, and then Picard is the head of Star or uh, Starfleet uh, Academy. So yeah, or something. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, my number one thing that I absolutely love that I think they really nailed was the board queen. She looks fantastic, and uh, yeah, she does. She could, she, I mean, she doesn't have a lot to do, but when she Yet. is on, I think they do a really good job of, you know, just, she can just like look at people and you're just like, oh man, she's going to get you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, what about that, uh, that other, what about the first Borg queen? Yeah, the see? one that's all in the superhero costume. Uh, um, is that a superhero you know, costume? I don't it's, know. She was wearing it, a cape. <laughs> you don't see you don't see too many Borgs and capes. And capes. No, that's a good point. I was more but, uh, more transfixed on her on her face. So yeah. was that a helmet or something? Uh, it was a helmet or something. Yeah. Okay. So she's got a weird helmet that you that does not look like a face at all. So I don't no. know what it looks like actually. It just looks Indeed. all bumpy and stuff. I don't know. It's weird. But uh, but yeah, so far good. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think it's um. I mean, obviously, as we find out in the second episode, they are in some kind of dystopian, actually kind of mirror universe kind of situation where, right. uh, where, what did it, was it called the Federation or was yeah, it called something it was else? called the Confederation. The Confederation. Okay. So, uh, so there is an, e- so somehow the prime universe went off on an evil path, authoritarian uh, government path, uh, which is uh, fine. It's just, oh boy, it sure does seem an awful lot like the mirror universe. Right, but it's not um, the mirror universe. But it's, it's not the mirror universe. But it's awfully time. like it. So it <laughs> seems like, oh boy, they're going back to the mirror universe. Well, again, which Discovery does a lot, but right, um, right. yeah, 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 and the badges are like. Huge, and they also act as throwing stars, which I thought was kind of cool. 
But oh, they're they're so huge and and so ugly that I was just like, those are, oh my god, they're so bad. And then some guy pulls it off and starts using it as a knife, and I'm like, all right, well that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Begrudgingly, I guess I have to give that some points. But yeah, just looking at it on their shirts and stuff, it looks really ridiculous. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like the new the Batman. Um, his bat emblem is also a knife. A, a battering, battering. I don't know. He never throws it. He just uses it as a knife. Right. So he cuts that cable, that power cable thing. Police tape and stuff. He used it a couple of times. Yeah. Handy. It's a a utility knife. Right. Right. But in his chest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyways. uh, How'd you like the Batman? Um, Yeah, Batman's good. You loved that. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It was really good. Just a good mystery type show with a lot of uh yeah a lot of people are saying it doesn't have a lot of action but it's got a lot of action beat up quite a few people (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah well um it it doesn't have as much as some of the previous ones but i kind of like that about it right that it wasn't just preoccupied with uh the action-packed violence Uh, although when it does happen it's quite violent Right. Especially in the beginning. I mean, Batman is getting down with laying the herd on bad guys. Right. Yeah, if I only had one real complaint is uh, I don't like that he can take all the bullets in the, sh- in the armor. Body armor. And no one decides to shoot him in the face. Yeah. And, and the <laughs> thing know, is. In the mouth. Right. And unlike Christian Bale. That has a you know some kind of a and I think also um, bat, the Batfleck has the same thing, some kind of ha- hard uh, cowl that could deflect a bullet. Um, uh, this this Batman, the Batman, uh, it's a soft cowl, right? So yeah, headshot, no problem. Well, it, in in the novel, it did say that it was some sort of experimental Wayne Tech body armor stuff so i mean they did they did explain it as well as they explained it on the well, christian bale movie okay but it, it's oh, not christian bale okay the christian bale that's i'm talking about this yeah yeah i'm talking about both of them oh okay so you there's you, a prequel you've seen novel. A, a novel already on this the yeah, Batman? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah there was a prequel novel oh okay well uh, one of the things i, I liked about this one is except for the amazing ability for the bat suit to deflect machine guns at point and, blank and, range and sniper rifles. That's what got me. Oh, that like, too. Yeah. Man, that goes through tanks. <laughs> you know, it's well, just like, and he just yeah. like walks it off. And and or point blank shotgun. Right. So he shot with a shotgun, point blank, and that does slow him down a bit until he what would he inject himself with adrenaline or something? Adrenaline, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the thing I liked about the 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 Batman that's presented here, most of his tricks. Most of his uniform equipment and things like that, and even the Batmobile, it's like, uh, it's a little rougher. It's like, yeah, there was some money involved in getting that that cool Batmobile up and running, but he was just using what looked pretty much like a normal, pretty much motorcycle, and he was using normal-looking binoculars. Right, and And even his, uh, his cowl, I mean, when you, the nose piece and stuff... It's like, it looked like, you know, something that you could kind of put together, you would think. Right, right. Um, 
so it wasn't like outlandish, you know, Batmobile tank, whatever. Yeah, I like the um, Batmobile. Yeah, the, this Batmobile, the, the muscle car Batmobile, that looks awesome. Right. I love that. Yeah, that's one you could theoretically drive in and not everybody would be like, hey, look, it's the Batmobile tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you look at the back of that thing, that's not oh, yeah. normal. No. <laughs> And I kind of like how they did the TV show. They aped the TV show a bit with the, uh, you know, the flames coming out the back. Well, they've all had that. Well, I know, but, but but even the 1966 show Batmobile. I mean that that was a modified stock, uh, you know, boat of the day. You know, big, big Pontiac something or other, right? Uh, that they just modified. So it was kind of a muscle car back in the 60s. Right. Right. So between the muscle car kind of. Uh, ness of it and the flames coming out of the back it just it just reminded me more of the uh, the old 66 show and the idea that Batman was like figuring out clues and stuff and doing the riddles and stuff that was totally from the 66 show uh, yeah. however it was kind of ridiculous in the 1966 show they did it <laughs> but multiple things in the Batman seems like they were hearkening back to the 1966 TV show Right, and I think they were just harking back to the comic books, which uh, yes. they both they both they both were uh, alluding to it. Yeah, but they just different takes I, on this. I agree, thing. but nobody, even though they had a little, little, tiny little bit of that with um, George Clooney, Batman, a tiny uh-huh. bit of that. I haven't seen a franchise choose to focus on that dimension of it as much um, since the '66 uh, show. Hmm. Well, that's cool. Yeah, like I said, I liked it. Uh, the only thing I didn't like was how powerful the suit was. But yeah. uh, aside from that, I thought I thought it was well done. Yeah, I definitely go see it again. So the guy that plays Commissioner Gor- or Inspector Gordon or Detective Gordon, right? right. Um, I forgot his name. I mean, he shows up at everything. <laughs> He's constantly showing up in things. Right. Morgan Freeman, for a while, there was showing up in everything. And now, um, this actor's showing up in everything. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the two TV series, is the HBO Max shows that are supposed to spin off, mm-hmm. actually happen. Because uh, I would definitely like more of that universe. Yeah. Although I thought it was kind of odd they were going to fixate on the, on the Penguin. But... I mean, it was a cool. It was it was a funny. It was funnier character than I expected, and of course, Colin Farrell did a great job. But right. So this is so the TV show that one of the TV shows is supposed to be focused on the Penguin. So this is going to be his taking advantage of the power vacuum and becoming yeah, I'm so. crime lord or something. That's that's the way I'm taking it. Yeah. So kind of like a book of Boba Fett, but for the Penguin. There you go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the guy who plays uh, Commissioner Gordon that you were talking about, yeah. Jeffrey Wright. Ah, Jeffrey Wright, that's it. Yeah. He also played the uh, Watcher on What If. Yes, he did. Cartoon. I didn't example. realize that was him. He was, uh, he was one of the main characters in Westworld, the TV show. Right. Um, and he was in all the new James Bond movies. Nope, that's, he was Felix... Uh, Felix uh, Leiter? Leiter, yeah. Yep. See, he's just popping up everywhere. Yeah, no, he's good. I like him. So oh, he's when, good. When, 
when they announced that they were going to do a spin-off show of of him, you know, the Gotham PD type mm-hmm. thing, I was like, that'd be cool to see. Oh, that's what the other one is? A more grounded Gotham PD, uh, Gotham PD type show than what Gotham ended up being. Well, at at times they tried to be grounded, but yeah. Well, they started off trying to be grounded and then they like, yeah, that's not what people want. And then it was more like the 60s show than yeah, than anything we'd seen to, up till then. Right. I mean, even with the like Dutch angles and stuff, things mm-hmm. were starting to tilt and stuff, and I was just like, nah. "Boy, they're really <laughs> they're really leaning hard into this." Right? Yeah, yeah. I I kind of I really enjoyed Gotham, and I watched the first couple seasons pretty religiously, and I just kind of yeah, I, I think lost I'm like interest. I think I'm like two uh, two seasons. I haven't watched the last two. Yeah, I think I'm about, I think I'm in the same situation. Okay. So anyways, that's not what we're supposed to be talking about. No, we're not. We we took a hard tangent. Right, right, right. Okay, back so, to this. So anyways, um, so what are we doing next week? Sticking with the game plan we've had going. So the next 363 is going to be Alien Spotlight Borg, along with the first two issues of Last Generation. Right. Number one and two. Which I think is... Another mirror universe type thing, but not the mirror universe. It's it's the mirrored universe. So mirrored, <laughs> mirrored. Okay, yeah, it was it was a thing that uh, Star Trek did for a couple of years. Okay, where they were coming out with books of what if this happened? Oh, what if we, this happened? It, it's not part of the mirror universe. It's a new branding, so oh, we can sell if? different books. Okay, <laughs> so kind of like the Marvel stuff. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. So, Borg, I think, is set during, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's set during uh, First Contact Nemesis time frame, somewhere around there. Looks like it's it's the Sovereign-class Enterprise. Nice. And then the last generation, again, it's an alternate universe where um, I I, I don't know the specifics. (laughs) But we'll find (laughs) out. Okay, that sounds good. Find out next week, yeah. There you go. Well, there you go for next week. And... uh... So read ahead, and uh, we will see you guys uh, next week. Thanks for joining us this week. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.